Let's start off in a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you for uh, just this time and a chance to get together, a chance to uh, <clears throat> just learn from what your scriptures have to say to us. And I pray that the takeaway will be that it would enhance our worship and devotion to you today. I thank you and pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. So, um, <clears throat> in a world where experience matters... Um, I've been, I've been uh, trying to prepare for this message for the last couple of weeks and the uh, last couple of Sundays I've been fairly busy doing that. But in many ways I feel like I've been uh, preparing all my life for this message as well too. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I uh, appreciated the sermons that have been uh, preached before us, the one on adoption. I think that that's something that we should always remember, that we have been adopted, grafted into Christ's family. Um, and it's really a, a joy for us to be in that, uh, in that state. Last week, David talked about marriage and loved his conclusion, how he said it's all about Christ. And I think that hopefully today, in talking about singleness, that will also be a reflection that will permeate through your mind that it's all about Christ. I did like uh, one of his illustrations that he mentioned, um, <clears throat> the 25th anniversary being silver, 50th anniversary being golden, and then 75th anniversary being diamond. So I guess in many ways I've passed my golden anniversary a few years ago of singleness. So probably would have been more apropos if I did this a few years ago, but uh, all right, let's take a look at what I have prepared for you. Did I not turn this on? So this is the outline for today, and it's a fairly simple outline. I'll just go over a, some introductory material, singleness in the Old Testament, singleness in the New Testament, and we'll round it up with a nice conclusion. Land of plain, and hopefully it'll be a takeaway for you, all right? All right, so introduction. So <clears throat> before we start, there's uh, some items that I wanted to talk about in terms of purpose, right? The, what I'm trying to achieve this morning. Um, <clears throat> my purpose is not to exalt singleness over married life. And I bring this up because um, I have done that in the past. Uh, to the point where I make it sound like my life is better because I don't have a spouse or kids and all the things that come with it. Right? And uh, I appreciate some of, the, some of the brothers who have actually come talk to me and rebuke me in that sense. So that was... Uh, that was very good feedback, and I appreciate that much. It's also not to exalt married life over singleness, right? And I think that many of you have a habit of doing that, right? Um, we will see, scripturally speaking, that there is no difference in terms of being better in your state, right? For being single to being married. They're just different states. Not, one is not greater than the other, right? The third purpose I'm not trying to do is give dating advice, right? Now, you see the little asterisk. Um, it's because you're probably going to get some anyway, right? <laughs> some of it will probably seep out in the conversations. I don't have places in my notes where I want to specifically say that, but just a fair warning. My purpose is to dispel some misconceptions about singleness, one of the books I read in preparation for this is Seven Myths 
of singleness, and I highly uh, <coughs> recommend that book to you, just to, to kind of create a thinking that, uh, scripturally speaking, you are not in the junior varsity because you're not married. Okay, a lot of people think that. All right, and it's hopefully to give you a biblically accurate view of what singleness is. All right? So, some misconceptions. These are some misconceptions I've, I've gathered and I've actually, um, you know, gone through myself and heard from other people, right? So, number one. Jerry, getting married will cure my loneliness. Right? It's one of the top misconceptions of single people. Right? Marriage is the answer to my struggle with lust and sexual des- desires. This is the top misconception for singleness. These top two are amongst the highest misconceived ideas for single people wanting to get married. Right? <clears throat> we'll talk about it in the end, but these are absolutely not true. All right? I can't have a family. I can't experience the fullness of being a man or woman. Technically, biologically, you can't have a family, right, um, as a single person, but this is your family, the church itself, right? And so <clears throat> that's not actually very true. The other thing is you can't experience the fullness of being a man, being a woman. You can't experience certain things. A wife, uh, you, can't, you can't experience being as a woman, uh, maybe having a child. Of course, out of wedlock, there's children all the time. But just the experience of being a wife, maybe you can't do that. Maybe the experience of having children as a father, you can't experience that either. But <clears throat> being fully man is not dependent on your marital status because we look at Christ himself, right? And he was, he was never married. Uh, and we'll have other examples as well, too. The other misconception is that God has someone for me, right? I, I've also been told this, and, and other people have said this to each other, that there's almost a future promise that God owes you something. Right? Hey, you know what? You're a great person. You're, you're an awesome person. You know, God has someone for you. I know it. This didn't work out, but someone's out there. Just keep praying, right? That's absolutely not true. Um, <clears throat> you are not promised anything in life, in terms of uh, situations. There's no scripture that says God has someone for you in life, right? <clears throat> so those are some misconceptions, and we'll answer it a little bit later. And these are some of the statements that I've heard over my 57 years of being alive. Uh, people have told me about marriage and just a bunch of other things. These are just kind of my own conversation pieces that I've heard and people have said to me. Um, <clears throat> The only requirement to be uh, on this statement list is that it has to be repeated more than once. If you just say it to me one time, it doesn't belong up here, okay? <laughs> all right, so these are some of the statements about marriage that I've been told and people have said to me, all right? It's the next step, all right? I, I remember hearing this from several people. I said, hey, why do you want to get married and stuff? And they would say, oh, it's the next step in life. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, how did you come to that conclusion? Right? And um, you'll have someone to take care of you. Right? I hear that many, many times. I still hear that now. George, you need to get married to so someone to take care of you. I'm like, well, I feel like I take care of myself pretty well, you know? 
I don't know what else they're going to do for me, you know. Uh, <clears throat> it's really hard at times, but it has really been good moments, too. I don't need to get married for that, do I? Uh, being married is better than being single. I've heard this from a bunch of people and mostly single people. So my question is, well, how do you know that? <clears throat> when you have kids, your life is over. <laughs> so then my point is, why would I get married and want to have kids then? <laughs> happy wife, happy life, right? I've heard that many times as well, too. And my all-time favorite, it's sanctifying. <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, like, isn't it sanctifying being single, too? Isn't sanctification process just for an individual? So these are just statements about marriage that I've heard. Um, and I think that in many ways, it, it, it really kind of talks to me about the heart condition of an individual, what they really value. And I know that most people do it with a good intent. There's no malice behind it. But uh, the second to the last one, happy wife, happy life, that is an absolutely nonsensical statement. Okay? Your marriage should not be about pleasing your wife. That is not the number one priority. Pleasing Christ is the number one priority. Right? And everything that comes from it will flow into serving each other. Right? All right. All right, so those are just fun statements. These are some stats about singleness that I, I got up. These are uh, fairly recent 2022, all right? So I know it'll be a little bit hard for you to see, um, but the blue line is men and the black line is women. And the age of first marriages has gone up in the trend. So from all the way from 1998 to currently 2021. And as you see... The age is about 30 years old for men, and it's about 28, 29 for women, right? So that, that arrow keeps going up, right? <clears throat> the next one is um, the married men, never married, the red line for married men and, uh, or single men and single women, right? And so if you look at that, the line of never being married is slowly going up too, and they're almost kind of equal, right? So those are the single trends. People are getting married later, and some people are not getting married at all, right? And these are some stats, and I think that this is a very, uh, this is one of the reasons why people are remaining single. Unlike the Christian community where we feel uh, that immorality is wrong, premarital sex is wrong, in a survey, 69, let's say it just rounded up to 70%, premarital sex is morally acceptable, right? With only about 25, 26% saying it's, it's not. So it's not something that I'm telling you that you don't already know, but that trend is growing higher and higher. Even from, uh, from 1950s, 1960s, it's a lot higher than before, right? This is the rate of, um, <clears throat> this is what people think about divorce. And you see the blue, 81% say it's morally acceptable, right? So when you put those, those uh, <clears throat> stats together, the reason people are getting, um, they're not getting married, they're waiting longer to get married, is because sexual promiscuity is rampant. You get everything in a marriage in a non-married state, so why even get married? 
I'm sure most of you know people who have been living together. At my work, well, my former work, um, <clears throat> I knew a lot of people who lived together for about a year before they got married. And when I asked them, you know, what was marriage like? You know, I asked Christian believers, and they're like, oh, yeah, it was great. You know, married life is great. Their, their answer to me is like, it doesn't seem like it's anything different. And well, why would it be? You're doing everything that a married couple does without the commitment, right? And so that's why even, even divorces, you get married, it doesn't work out, yeah, I'm out. On with the next one, right? So the sanctity, sanctity of marriage and the holiness of God's institution has been minimized in recent years, right? In the last few decades. Those are some, <coughs> some that's kind of a setup. So this is singleness in the Old Testament, okay? So the norm. In the Old Testament, finding single people a marriageable age was very rare, right? And I would even say that up to the early 20th century, it was very rare, right? There were no youth group people, young adults, teenagers, there was no concept. It was either you were a child and then you were an adult being married, right? <clears throat> if you were single, most likely it was because you were in a transition period. And virtually all marriages before the 20th century, early 20th century, were arranged, right? And so right now the trend is completely different. Most people get together with others and their parents know at the end, right? Hey, we're kind of a little serious. We're trying to talk to the parents. Well, back for most of the history of the world, people actually got set up by their parents because they felt like my son is good for your daughter, vice versa. And the reason is because they needed a system where the daughters were taken care of by the son, Right, so character mattered in those senses. And usually it was people who knew each other very well. Girls got married about 12 or 13 years old. Right? So if I had kids, I'd probably be a great-grandfather, right, being 50-plus. Right? <clears throat> Guys got married around 15 or 16. And I looked this up, and the current stat is that puberty hits for girls around 8 to 13 and <clears throat> for boys 9 to 14. So I don't know if they actually had any information on it, but it seems like a lot of these kids would get married before their onset of puberty itself. What that would actually probably do is it would probably lessen just um, a running of raging hormone for sexual desires to be promiscuous, to be um, just very sexually immoral. And so sexual immorality was rampant, of course, but it seemed like it was a good setup for doing things, right? The other thing in terms of marriages, like I said, where most of them were arranged marriages. Um, and just to give the, uh, the, the, the three Asian countries, in China it was common up to the mid-20th century. And the thinking of, of arranged marriages was not just one individual getting together with another, it was actually two families were getting together. They were merging. And so that's why social classes mattered back then. Um, if you were from a very royal, rich background, you probably didn't get married or get set up with somebody who was poor or vice versa. Um, in Japan, till the end of the 20th century, almost 30% were still traditionally arranged. 
Um, and then a lot of these individuals were actually, they met through matchmakers, right? And it's still a practice that's done. So those, matchmaking is still considered an arranged marriage, um, <clears throat> meaning that these matchmakers were not your parents, right? And in Korea, you know, my, my country, my background, <laughs> this was practiced until late 20th century. And again, social status of husband uh, was one of the primary reasons for the arrangement. Um, it was for the lineage and the prosperity of the family. So it was extremely rare that people married outside of the social standing, right? And it's almost a, a, a caste system in that manner, right? And then uh, in Korea, couples did not meet until their wedding date itself. So you had no idea who, who he or she looked like, right? So again, the concept of singleness up to 20th century um, was really non-existent because people arrange your marriages and you got married right off, okay? It's only in recent decades that this has really kind of taken off, okay? So these are the categories of singles in the Old Testament, all right? There are widows. Widows were financially dependent, and a lot of times these are situations you couldn't, you know, you couldn't um, control. All the men were usually in the military. They either got killed or they became a widow. Someone might just die all of a sudden through illness or disease, and you became a widow. The thing about widows for ladies back then was if you did not have some type of husband or financial support, um, you were destitute. And a lot of ladies would end up into prostitution because there was no job or something that the woman can do. Okay? <clears throat> Widows, uh, scripturally, were also unfortunately looked upon with reproach. This is why the Jewish system came out with the Leverite marriage, meaning that if your husband died, you would get married into the brother, if they had a brother. And that was to protect the women of that society. All right? Um, and then the other one would be eunuchs. These were attendants, royal courts, keepers of kings, concubines, basically anybody who had an important role. There, there were a lot of women around. Side note, Daniel was probably a eunuch. Right? Um, scripture never mentions him being married or having a family. Um, and he was probably a eunuch because of several places in Scripture. Third Kings 20 talks about how I, Hezekiah's descendants would be taken away to Babylon and, and many of them would be made eunuchs. Also, Daniel was under the authority of the chief eunuch in Daniel 1.3. And the reason I bring this up as a side note is, you know, you read the book of Daniel, you never ever get a sense of anger or bitterness in anything that he writes. He lost his home, he lost his family. I mean, he lost a part of his manhood as well. And yet he was always so gracious and just seeping with thankfulness for his relationship to the Lord. Um, the other category, when I say could not, are some people who couldn't get married. People with leprosy couldn't get married. Somebody with really severe economic difficulties couldn't get married. Um, and some were called to be single. Jeremiah was actually called to be single all of his life. Right? He was specifically told by God. The divorce were single people. Divorces almost always were initiated by the husband, right? Um, the Jewish laws even allows you to divorce somebody for burning your food or such. And so when 
Paul came and kind of cleaned that up a little bit. Unmarried young men and women, um, <clears throat> like I said, where fathers usually arranged the marriages and fathers usually chose to protect their daughters, um, the bride's father would usually provide a dowry uh, for, as a thank you to the, to the father of the groom uh, for taking care of my daughter. I looked this up in terms of uh, dowry. I always wondered how much a dowry was. So in the Jewish mindset, the minimum that you had to do was 180 grams of uh, silver, right? And what, what does that mean in terms of money, right? So I, I did a little, a little quick math. A gram of silver is about 69 cents, so 180 grams would be about $124. So in order for you to take care of my family, the minimum, right, I'm going to give you is $124. However, it was usually a lot more than that. Right. Again, it was a gift to the individual who was going to take care of my daughter as your bride. Okay. Some examples of singles in the Old Testament were Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah, and Elisha. Okay. <clears throat> Daniel uh, is probably one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament um, because he, he, I mean, even from a young age, he was extremely faithful to the Lord. All right, let's take a look at the kind of the meat part of what I want to talk about. And singleness in the New Testament. All right? <clears throat> so these are the two points that I'm going to talk about. Is singleness attributes and marriage distinctives. All right? But give, me a little, give you a little background before I start, though. Um, <clears throat> As in the Old Testament, most singles in the New Testament were in transition, or the concept of singleness was not really existent. Um, outside of those categories I talked about, people were not really single for very long, because a lot of it was arranged marriages. Um, <clears throat> singleness also was something that um, was looked down upon by the Jews. Um, if you were single as a man, um, they, had, they had Jewish writings that said such that, you know, you are not really a man if you don't have a wife. Right? So it was really looked down upon, even up to the New Testament times. New Testament examples of single people were John the Baptist, Paul, and Jesus. I'll talk a little bit about Paul and my thinking of if he was ever married a little bit later. But we're going to look at... Um, <coughs> We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 7. So if you turn there with me, um, we're not going to do the whole chapter, right? Um, this is, uh, that's, it's not the purpose of this. Maybe next time when you guys invite me back, I'll do it. Um, this is not the purpose of the time. And so we'll kind of go some highlights on the chapter itself. And so let me uh, start reading for you from verse 6, right? From verse 6. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So here... 
um, is one of the few passages that the New Testament actually talks about singleness. In the Old Testament, you can't find one. Right? And it's because the way of thinking was very different. Right? So, there's a couple of things that um, <clears throat> Paul talks about in terms of attributes of singles. Right? One is that it's a gift. Okay? It, it talks about here, um, I wish that all were I myself am. We know that in that text itself, Paul is saying he is single. Right? Whether he was single all of his life, that's a, that'll come up in a little bit, but he was single at that time, and this is a genuine wish. It is not saying this as a requirement. Again, you go back up. I say this as a concession, not a, a command. He's not telling you to stay single. Okay? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it is preferable. Okay? And this in itself is a reference to celibacy. Right? Paul was celibate. Um, <clears throat> and it's also a reference to the gift of continence. Right? In the commentaries I read, I was like, what the heck does continence mean, right? And so, um, if you look at it as incontinence, being, not being able to control your bowels and stuff, the definition of continence is self-restraint, especially with regard to sex. Right? So this is a gift that he's talking about for himself. This is the state that he's talking about. The definition of celibacy is a state of abstaining from marriage and sexual relations. So Paul is saying he wishes everyone was like himself, which is celibate and continent, that he's not exercising these things. And he talks a little bit later about why he does that. But we do see that in here. He mentioned singleness as a gift. Right? It's very clear. He says it's as a gift. And so my question to you married and single people, is do you see your situation of being single as a gift? Or do you see it as a curse? Because I feel like a lot of times you talk about your singleness as if this is something that makes you incomplete. Right? That's absolutely contrary to biblical thinking. <clears throat> the other thing <clears throat> that it talks about, right? <clears throat> that it is good. Actually, let me go back here. The word for gift is, um, is the word charisma, right? Something graciously given. The noun is related to the word charis, which is grace and favor, right? And this, is the, this word for charis is used for, uh, or this word charisma, not charis, is used for spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Right? And, and this word for charis is also used as God's gift of salvation in Romans 5, 6, and 11. Right? So the impact of this word, that it's a gift, grace, favor, um, graciously, something graciously given. This is God's graciousness to you if you're still single. Right? <clears throat> In the New Testament, when the Corinthians first read this, that singleness is a gift, it's a very revolutionary idea. Right? 
because the Jewish people taught that it was, um, it was always looked on. Singleness was not a good thing. So for Paul to say that singleness is actually a good, a gift, it was very revolutionary. And this is the first time really um, in Jewish history that it's, it's been uh, talked about in that way. It also talks about each one has his own gift. So everybody has a gift, whether it's gift of singleness, gift of marriage. It's all, everybody has a gift. So was Paul ever married? Well, according to Jewish writings, Jewish men were required to marry and have kids, according to the Mishnah. The Talmud says any man who has no wife is no proper man. And you had to be married to be a part of the Sanhedrin. And we believe Paul was a part of the Sanhedrin because according to Acts 26.10, talking about um, believers, he locked up many of the saints. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So casting his vote probably means he was part of the Sanhedrin. So in my opinion, Paul was probably married at one time, but once he became a believer, we know all of his ministry was done as a single. Right? All the commentators I've read and all the articles I've read, they say that, you know what, we don't know if Paul was single and don't spend much time on it. Just know that scripture is silent. And, uh, but I, I couldn't do that. I wanted to know if he was single or not, so I kept on looking for it. Um, First thing is that singleness is seen as a gift. Second thing is singleness is, is good. In verse 8 and, um, <clears throat> and 26 later, the word for good is callous. It's a beautiful, good, desirable, right? It's, it indicates an object that is intrinsically sound in a moral or ethical sense, right? This word indicates that it's essentially flawless, morally good or beautiful, right? So good towards singleness, morally morally excellent. Only a few times is this word in the New Testament referred to an object of beauty, not the quality of beauty. Right? So Paul says it's a gift and it's good. Right? In your state it is good. So let me ask you again, single people and married people, do you see singleness as a good thing? Or do you see it as something really bad? I'm looking for marriage to make me happy. If that is your reason for getting married, I, I strongly encourage you, do not get married, because you'll be disappointed. Right. How do I know? Talk to other people. They tell me that all the time. <laughs> Remain single as I am, okay? Paul has the gift of continence, but if you cannot exercise self-control, get married. It's, he's saying basically you have an outlet for your um, burning desires, your sexual desires, and do it within the um, context of marriage. All right? That's just kind of a quick overview of the uh, attributes, singleness attributes. So this is actually more part of the meat, meat, meat of, the, of the text itself. These are marriage distinctives, right? Things about marriage, right, that the, uh, the text talks about. First Corinthians 7. <clears throat> contextually he says in verse 25 concerning the betrothed no command from the Lord but I give my judgment so this is again not a command this is his opinion um, his um, idea that he will give you right? so there are five things that he talks about that are marriage distinctives right? verse 26 
Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one, um, sorry, verse 25, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Right? <clears throat> one of the distinctives of marriage is that it will have distress on the relationship, the married man, married woman. The word for distress there is a Greek word that means tremendous difficulty. Right? Now you have to read this in light of what's going on at that time. Right? This was a few years, about 15 years before the Neronian persecutions where Nero did some incredibly wicked things. Right? A simple one would be he would um, tie up Christians on poles in his garden. He would light them on fire at night and they would be kind of um, a, a lit entryway into his palace. Right? And those are just some of the wicked things. He did all sorts of stuff. And so there were a lot of persecution that was going to happen, but was actually still going on right now. Right? And so he speaks in that light, in terms of distress. If you are married, then you're going to be very concerned with the safety of your wife or your spouse, husband, or kids. Right? And it's easier to be more concerned with your, yourself uh, only. Right? This word for distress is also translated as violence in Luke 12 um, and 2 Corinthians 6. Okay? <clears throat> Paul is not someone who is um, unfamiliar with persecution. Right? In 2 Corinthians 11, 25 to 28, it says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. So Paul went through a lot of things. As a single person, he faced these persecutions. Can you imagine if Paul had a wife or kids that he had to be concerned about as well? And that's what he's talking about here. He wants to spare them from these distresses, right? In verse 27, it talks, the context there is some want to be single because of all these difficulties they're going to face with their wife, right? And so Paul says, no, no. If you're married, stay married. That's a good thing. And so that's kind of the quick context of that. So the first thing that distinctive about marriage is that you have to, you're going to go through a lot of distress because of your relationships, all the difficulties that will happen. The second one in verse 28 is troubles. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who married will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. Okay. The Greek word here for trouble is a word meaning to press together, and it was used to the crushing of grapes to produce juice. Right? It's an analogy for a marriage relationship where two people constantly living together, two sinful individuals are pressing against each other. Right? And there will be, in many ways, a lot of conflict. 
right? Single people, if you want to know what some of these conflicts are, talk to any married couple. There's nobody, there's no married couple that has not had conflict, right? And so if you have this desire to get married, to have solution to loneliness, or maybe have someone in your life, know that other things come with that, right? You get together with a sinner, you're now taking on the sinful habits of that believer, right? And one of the things that you should, unless it's, unless it's a biblical sin, one of the things that you should not do is try to change your spouse. That's when you get into a lot of issues. You know, he's not doing this. He's such a slob, you know. I can't believe it. He just needs to just pick up after himself, right? And what does that cause? It causes just an expectation that rolls into anger, that rolls into just basically a resentment, right? The other way would be like if, if the wife, if the husband would say, man, why doesn't she just take care of the kids better or whatever, you know, put anything under there. And all of these things, when you're pressing together, they become issues and these are the troubles that the word is talking about, okay? Marriage is not a solution to your relational problem. Marriage is actually, in some ways, a multiplication of your marital or relational issues, right? And he says in <clears throat> I would spare you that. Paul wants you to not have to go through with this. Right? In reading uh, John, Dr. MacArthur, he says, the most miserable people in the world are not single people. It is the married people. Because, um, I mean, I went through suffering last night watching my Bruins lose, you know? <laughs> and I was miserable. I have to go through my Rams being such a terrible team, Cooper Cup being out for now for six to eight weeks, the Lakers can't even win a game, and the Dodgers losing in the first round to a team they dominated in the regular season. That's suffering for me, right? <laughs> but that's only momentary. I could turn that off, right? That goes away. But if you're a married person, you have conflict and you have issues, that stays with you. You gotta resolve it. You can't just ignore them. That's not a married life. And so, if you're not ready as a single person to be able to handle conflicts, then probably a good idea for you to remain single. All right? All right, third one, temporary. <clears throat> verse 31 says, For the form of this world is passing away. In verse 29, right? Let me read that to you. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives... Live as though they had none. Verse 30. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they, as though they had no goods. Verse 31. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Right? The idea here is not to be indifferent or uncaring. The idea is to hold your earthly... Um, possessions, relationships, lightly. Don't hold on to it so much that if you lose it, you feel like you're going to literally die. And, you know, people do have very emotional um, reactions toward people who do pass away. I remember when my mother passed away, I had never, I had never been so emotional in six months, in a six-month period. And it was just very, very difficult for me. Um, 
Contrast that to my dad when he passed away, it was more of a relief for us because we knew that he was suffering for a long time. Right? So those emotional outbursts are okay within a context. But it's the idea that if you are holding on to something, you're grabbing on to something so much that you need to have this to make you happy, that's a form of idolatry. Right? The definition, the biblical counseling definition of idolatry is <clears throat> you know it's idolatry if you sin to get it or you sin to keep it. Right? And that's anything. Right? Um, I've known people in my past where, uh, you know, we grew up in high school and stuff, you know, we do everything together, we're as friends. All of a sudden, they get together, and man, I don't see this guy for the next six months. You know, nothing. We had to use actual phone, phones back then. We didn't have text messages, so we'd call, we'd call him, we'd see him at school, and I'd say, hey, you want to go do something? Oh, no, you know, I'm busy, I'm busy. They completely go off the map in terms of our influence. Right, and so then six months later, you get a phone call. Hey, George, what you guys doing this Saturday? You want to hang out? Have a girlfriend break up with you, brother? You know. <laughs> his world was basically defined by his relationship with the person. Right? Don't let your don't let your status be influenced by if you're single or married. Right? Marriage is not a better state. It is a different state. Right. Again, further down, it talks about, and I would spare you that. Or he doesn't want, Paul doesn't want you to go through any of these issues, right? <clears throat> Marriage also has no relationship to eternity. Do you realize that uh, singleness is going to be your eternal state? For all of eternity, you're going to be single. So if marriage was that good, right, why aren't you married in heaven too? Again, it is a gift for a temporary time, and we'll see later that it's a temporary permanence in some ways. Right? Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. <clears throat> in eternity, right, there is a marriage relationship analogy. Christ is the husband, and all believers are the wives. Right? You know, I actually sometimes, I actually was thinking about this on the drive here. I, I sometimes think about Think about heaven and being there. Um, Christ is fully man, so he will be in his human form. But I sometimes wonder how I'm going to actually be able to have a chance to actually talk to him. It's not because he doesn't want me to, but because I feel like through the ages, there will be so many men and women who love Christ so much greater than me, and that's not false you know, humility or anything like that that they will always want to talk to him. You know, and I'm just some kind of wondering, man, when do I, what, I mean, I'll, I know I'll have my chances and stuff, but you know, when am I going to be able to talk to him in person, face-to-face, and have conversation? And uh, It's an interesting, good dilemma, in my opinion. Right? Um, that's just a side note. It's something that I just kind of thought about in terms of, of heaven itself. I think that um, heaven will be a great place to go, and I think that the joy of your life Will uh, for all the for all eternity will be in a single state. Think about that, right? So I'm I'm ahead of the game. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm already kind of heading that way. Okay, now let's go on to the fourth. Uh, <clears throat> let's go on to um, 
going, oh yeah, <coughs> I'm not advancing this line. So, anxiety. In verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Verse 34, and his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. <clears throat> Being married, some of the distinctives is that um, he, he calls it anxiety here, but it's anxiety, it's undivided, it's divided attention, basically, right? If you have a wife, you're going to have to make time for her. You're going to have to devote yourself to helping and serving her. If you have a husband, you have to make time to devote and help her, right? Whereas a single person, you don't have that. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just a different state. I don't have to worry about taking care of a wife or family or kids at my house because I don't have any. That doesn't mean my situation is better. It's just different, right? So the whole point here, when Paul says stuff, right, in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, right? His whole idea is that Ultimately, your life is about worship to your Lord and devotion, and so maximize whatever situation you have. Right? The vast majority of people in this world for all, for all history have been married, and you need to be for procreation, for the raising up of the family, but if you're single, it, it helps you to not have divided attention. Right? So, the last one is bound. It's just the idea, and we'll finish this up quickly so I can get to my <laughs> conclusion. Uh, the last one is bound, it's the idea that you are married till death. Right? You have the idea, divorce is something that is allowed, but it's for sexual immorality and abandonment as grounds for divorce. But it's actually not necessarily encouraged. It's actually an out that the Lord gives you. Right? Um, if you think about that, let's say you're in your 20s and you live to about 70s, you're going to be married for 50 years. This is with a person that's going to be sinful and do things to hurt you, to, uh, to say, say things that are very um, <clears throat> not helpful to you, uh, try to cause you to break you down, attack you in many ways. These are individuals you have to live with for a long time, every single day, right? Um, you don't get to have a break from your husband or wife. I mean, there are times when maybe you have to go somewhere for a week or two for traveling for work, family, whatever. But there's no sense that you can take time off from being a husband or a wife. There's a lot of dedication to it. There's a lot of seriousness to it, right? <clears throat> divorce is something that God allowed and Paul talked about. He gave more standards because rampant was divorce in Jewish times because if the husband didn't like his wife for whatever reason, he'd just divorce her. Well, Paul says only for these reasons, sexual immorality and abandonment, to, uh, <clears throat> is, is, uh, you can't divorce her. So there's a permanence. But again, we look back and marriage is temporary for this lifetime. So there's a temporary permanence to it all. 
right? So single people, do you understand the vast amount of what you'll be dealing with if you get married? I see so many people talk about, you know, oh, it's going to be great, you know, we're going to do all this stuff. I have a travel buddy, I have somebody to eat with, I have somebody to talk with. There's going to be rough times too. So what are you going to do at that time? You know, you're just going to give up? <clears throat> have an accurate view. Okay. All right, so those are the five distinctives. But in many ways, these five distinctives are, distinctives are actually the blessings of singleness. Because these are issues that um, single people won't necessarily go into. All right. I have seven minutes, and let me give you my conclusion. Um, so these are my conclusions. All right. Getting married will cure my loneliness. All right. <clears throat> Remember I talked about earlier the misconceptions? Well, Psalm 27.10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Do you value your relationship with Christ? Because loneliness is a heart issue. Right? You feel like you are not getting something. Your relationship is not satisfying with just individuals. You need something else. You think marriage is going to solve that. It's not going to because you take that heart condition into the marriage and something else will come up. Right? There is a sense where it's a committed relationship and you're supposed to work on things together, but don't see marriage as a solution to your loneliness. Marriage is my answer to my struggle with lust and sexual desires. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verse 20 says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. Right? If you have a struggle with sexual immorality now, whatever that may be, maybe you watch pornography, maybe you have, you know, premarital sex, fornication all the time, that's going to stay with you once you get married. Because it's a heart issue and not, not a something that you do or you watch, right? So if you're having struggles with this, Right. Take a step back before you, before you think about getting married. Right. I can't have a family. Biologically, technically, that's true. But John, 1 John 3 one says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is your family. And a lot of times people think about, well, I have a more intimate relationship when I'm actually with a spouse. It's intimate in different ways. Example of Jonathan and David, they had a very, very good intimate relationship. They talked about everything together. And David even said, I would rather be with Jonathan than with my concubines. Right? I think a lot, and, I, and I'm speaking from a male perspective now, right? There are some brothers I have that I really cherish. I could talk to them about things and just have a very genuine conversation. We're not talking about sports or you know, <clears throat> what the next job thing is. But we talk about genuine things, and we're very honest with each other about our struggles, right? And we 
push each other to do better each time we see each other. I only have a few of them, right? But I feel like they satisfy my intimate relationship, right? So I ask you single people, you know, married people, do you have intimate relationships with people? Sex is not intimacy. If it was, right, then that means everybody who sleeps with a prostitute has an intimate relationship with that person, but it's not, right? Intimacy is just sharing your faith or whatever struggles you have and being able to grow with that person. Hearing the things that will not tickle your ears but actually push you to live better, right? If you don't have these men and women, singles, married, I would encourage you to go find some. And I would, and I would tell you that once you find some, your relationships will really, really grow. Your whole outlook on life will grow. Your loneliness will be met. Okay? Um, all right. This is actually my last slide for singleness. And these are um, four things that I will leave you with. All right? The first one is display an eternal perspective in your present status. Right? 2 Corinthians 4.17 For the light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? Be joyous in whatever situation you have. Embrace it. Make it live to the fullest. You know, I know you hear that from, um, <clears throat> from, from the media and stuff, but live to the fullest in Christ, in your current situation. If you're single, take advantage of that. Go meet with people. Go encourage people, right? Do things that allow you because you have the freedom of time. If you're married, then take that time to encourage other people, maybe recently married, maybe singles to have good expectations, but make a point to understand that this is all temporary and it's for an eternal good for, for Christ himself. Right. Build a thinking that practices biblical obedience. Your change in your life always starts from the way you think. Okay? Just, you know, if you're struggling with pornography and you're going to take the computer out and you're going to put it in the living room, that might help for a while. But if your thinking, your heart level does not change, that you'll find a way to sin. All right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind that you, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12, 2. That word for transform is the word metamorphosis. It's a complete change. And this is the believers that Paul is talking about in Romans 12. Third one, find joy in what you have, Christ, not in what you can get. A lot of times people I hear, you know, and I'm sure, I'm guilty of it myself, you're looking for something else to make you happy. Right? If you ever read Instruments in the Redeemer's Handbook, I highly recommend, there are many times people come to counseling and say, I just want to be happy. They think that something else will make them happy to provide joy, but that's not the case. If your heart level is not happy now, of course, I don't understand your difficulties and your circumstances, but joy is a choice more than a feeling. So you need to choose to have joy. Right? That's why it's a command. Right? Philippians 3.8 Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of following Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. Christ was very, <clears throat> Christ is your everything. Right. The last one is fuel your contentment. A lot of times I see, I hear people, I talk to people, they want to change, but you've done nothing in your life to make that change happen. You do the same exact things, you take in all the same exact media, you talk about the same exact things to people, you do nothing to change, so how are you going to change? You're not going to change. You need to fuel your life with godly things in order to become more godly. Right? That makes a lot of sense, right? But I know some people, again, I'm not against romantic comedies, okay? But I know some people, guys included, it's not just girls, you constantly watch these things because it makes you feel good. Oh, this is great. Oh, man, you know, he's such a wonderful person. He's, oh, he's such a dream. She's a... That is not true life. And if you keep feeding yourself with that, it builds an expectation that your true life should be like this portrayal in the media, right? One of the things I encourage people to do is read more. Um, make time to read people who have spent a lot of time in, uh, in writing things, right? You change the way you live by the way you fuel your life in the way that you, whatever media you take or things that you put into your life. Last verse is, but godliness with contentment is great gain. First Timothy 6, 6. Right? <clears throat> As David said last week, this message really is not about singleness. I hope that I was able to convey to you that it's about Christ. You know, just last week, um, David asked me, hey, do you ever get lonely? You know, and this is, this is not, um, I, I'm not trying to, make myself sound better or whatever, but I can tell you I never feel lonely. If anything, I get tired of people often. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I never feel lonely because I feel like I have... I, I've been a professing believer since about 14 or 15, so about 40-something years. My Christian life is better now than it was when I was 14 or 15. I really enjoy, I love being a Christian. It's not a chore for me to be a Christian. Did I get there overnight? No. I listened to hundreds of sermons. I've read tons of books. I've talked with other people who've ingrained with me the eminence, the importance of having Christ. If you're not having those type of conversations and you're not building those type of habits, you're always going to be unhappy. You're going to be looking for something else to make that happiness be fulfilled. So I hope I've encouraged you. The only thing I wish it could have been different is I wish it could have been a dialogue. I would have loved to listen to some of your feedback and questions. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this time and for all that you've done for us. And for the rest of the day, may we continue to worship you in uh, truth and that we can learn to encourage each other uh, in the faith. Thank you, and I pray all this in your name. Amen.